The advice and opinions expressed by the hosts of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod and we are webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. So thrilled to be here with you on this wonderful Wednesday morning. You know I love Wednesday. On Wednesday we start out with Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampuche is going to be with us to answer your questions live. And then in the second hour we have Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot Jackson will be joining me as will a wonderful gentleman who is a semi-regular on our show, Vince Redmond, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's going to be joining us today to talk about anxiety and autism. And we're going to be looking at this from slightly different perspective than we talk about it a lot. We talk a lot about the anxiety that individuals on the spectrum are going through. But in particular today, we're going to talk about the anxiety that the parents go through and how that in turn affects the kids and what we can do about that that's positive. Vince is going to be here with us to talk about that. We're also going to give you an update on that run, the autism uh, care and treatment today run for military families that is just, I believe, 10 days away. Uh, I know that I have a team for my son. Nancy has a team for her son. We're hoping that some of you will either run virtually with one of our boys. You can pick Team Nancy or Team Shannon, or you can create your own team, which we encourage you to do. We'll give you an update on that as well. Uh, want to remind you that this entire show is meant to be interactive. We want to hear from you. We want to know your thoughts, concerns, questions. Kelby's going to show you some of the different ways that you can participate with us. While I remind you that our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, so much to do. Please, please, please sign up for our email list so that we can keep you up to date on some very exciting things that are happening around here. You'll have up-to-date information that's totally free to do. And we don't inundate you with information, just stuff that uh, you guys have told us is really useful about when people are going to be on the show. Also want to let you know that there's a live feature on that site. If you put your cursor in the white box that says your comment, you can type, hit enter, and it will show up here on my screen. I want to remind you that you don't have to go through a login process. You don't have to remember a username or a password, and no one is interested in knowing what your first or last name are, what your street address is, or what your credit card account number is. Isn't that lovely and refreshing? Uh, but we want to know your thoughts and feelings, so please participate by using that live feature. Because it is, I'm talking so fast because I'm so excited, I'm, I'm forgetting to swallow. But because it is anonymous, and we think that that's important, we do want to remind you that if you'd like us to get back to you about something specific, you can leave us personal information on that forum. We just won't share it with the folks at home. How's that for a deal? All right, it's time for Ask Dr. Doreen. 
Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grandpache is here with us. You look so lovely oh, and spring you. today. Uh, so thrilled to have you here. Thank you so much. Because it's a pleasure. It's our pleasure always. You are a true expert in the field of autism. Thank you You've so much. You've been so instrumental in this field over the last, we're, we're celebrating 25 years of CARD, but you have been in this field significantly longer than that. That's right. Uh, an amazing, amazing career. And I love to think that you may only be in the first half of your career which is pretty amazing to it's, think about but I don't know if that's true I don't know that I'll be alive that long because if you really look at it it's 36 or seven years which is kind of ridiculous but in another 36 seven years you I know people who are practicing at that age so <laughs> I, I have a scary thought. We're keeping you around. Um, but in any case, you're not only an expert in the field of autism, you're a true visionary. Thank you so much, Shannon. It's a, it's a joy to have this show with you and, and to help some folks as we joy listen for to their us problems. As well. Now, we do want to remind everybody at the start of the show, as we always remind you, that in this format, it's impossible to give individual specific advice. There's no way that those of you who, at home, no matter how much information you give Dr. Grampuchet, it's not the same as being able to have an opportunity Absolutely. to meet the individual but having said that you steer us in directions so that we have more questions to ask have more ability to look and understand really some of the different factors that are going on that maybe wouldn't have occurred to us right um, and that's so helpful uh, we can every week we get uh, notes and letters back from people saying how helpful this that's is for wonderful. them so uh, we're gonna jump right in that's, that sounds okay great yeah okay uh, devastating I wanted to start with this one in particular particular this morning Gosh, um, so many today uh, yes so many and there's more that have come in since I printed this out but uh, somebody wrote in last night and said hello I need help with my nonverbal four-year-old he recently lost his younger sibling due to a car accident oh my gosh I'm noticing an increase in tantrums meltdowns crying and biting I think he's grieving how do I help him deal with his grief we don't know what or how much he understands he functions functions at an 18 month old level thank you so much for your suggestions and and I have to start by saying you know obviously you have suffered a loss as well oh my gosh and, I am just so devastated by this entry yes. here I <clears throat> I can't even imagine what you are going through and God you are a strong person and uh, may, may the universe give you much more strength to to handle all of what you're going through and if there's anything we can do to help uh, please call on us to do that um, I it's very difficult I can imagine I first of all I really commend you for putting your child's grief um, ahead of your own and that is not an easy thing to do um, and as parents we all hope to be able to do that but we're never put to the test so uh, you know congratulations to you for for thinking of your child first in this case um, there's very little that you can do obviously because you don't know necessarily what your child is going through but of course if we are go any any person who's going through grief I would imagine a few things first is just make his, fill his activities is it a boy right yes. yes fill his schedule with activities keep him busy and distracted that it would be probably a very important thing to do 
and because you don't want to add additional demand or uh, make things harder um, for him, I would suggest that you fill the activities with fun and easy activities right now. And I think if you really do that, that's probably the best thing you can do. In other words, your child will now be engaged in fun and easy activities all of his waking hours so that he is able to um, be distracted and uh, be rewarded. Um, and uh, really, other than that, all you can do is hold him, uh, you know, give him a sense of security. He most likely is missing the presence of his younger sibling. Um, and so uh, it will be very important to give him a sense of security. Uh, a lot of young children will attach to perhaps a stuffed animal or a blanket or something that helps him <clears throat> feel more secure. I would avoid uh, going to new places, going to doing anything new that's out of his normal normal activity level for a month or two because uh, new anything new causes additional anxiety. And so uh, just uh, providing an environment of safety and security and uh, keeping him busy with fun and, and uh, easy tasks is probably the best thing. I'm just wondering, I know one of the things that they recommend for adults with grief is, because um, you mentioned activities, they particularly recommend physical activities as a way of getting the emotions up and moving and that adults will sometimes, you know, exercise and then that gives them, that, that level of tired gives them release and sometimes they'll cry afterwards. Would we recommend the same thing for kids? I would imagine that physical activity can only be helpful in this uh, particular time, although I don't know the child and I don't want to force him into anything sure. that he doesn't enjoy. Dance, music, you know, that sort of thing might make it more fun of a physical activity. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I have, I, I'm aware of the fact that with adults, we tend to release some emotions um, after physical activity. I'm not sure if he's holding back emotions because he already has meltdowns yeah. and tantrums, crying and so yeah. on. So um, I would hate to enhance that and increase that, yeah. um, but you're gonna have to bear with it for a little yeah. bit. Yeah, bless his little heart. And, yeah. and we and wish yours, our yeah. best to you and to your entire family as you yes, work through this. absolutely. And do let us know if there's something that we can do to help. I'm um, going to move on to another question here. Hello, Shannon and Dr. Doreen. Uh, as always, love your show. You guys are amazing. My son is four and a half, is language delay, but slowly improving on his speech. His tantrums and meltdowns are out of control. It's getting harder to deal with his tantrums and behaviors. Mm -hmm. uh, when on a timeout for hitting or when he does not get his way, or sometimes we don't even know why, he becomes very mad, hits, breaks, and throws things, and has become unsafe with other or himself I am I end up sitting with him many times now blocking him to avoid hurting others but I end up all beat up since uh, many times I've held him down as he is screaming since I can't Ugh. block him uh, since his meltdowns are too severe uh, am I wrong by holding him at this point? I used to walk away, but now I return since he goes after us anyway. Waiting on ABA, so we love that you're you're moving in that direction towards getting ABA, but they write, what can I do for now? This is hurting right. us all physically, but mainly emotionally. They say, please help and right. thanks. Right, that's a tough situation. and. Mm -hmm. 
I'm very sorry that you're going through such a difficult situation right now. I would suggest that you do not hold him. Um, I don't think it's productive. I don't think he will aggress towards himself or hurt himself if he is alone. I do suggest that you walk away and do not allow him uh, to escape to come after you. Uh, so I, I don't know the exact uh, circumstances but, uh, of the room and where this is occurring and if it's in public and so on, but let's look at the scenario a little bit closer. Um, I mean, you're saying when he does not get his way, and sometimes you don't know exactly why. Um, the times when you don't know exactly why he's hitting, the, the only possibilities are that he's not getting something. Um, it could be an object, it could be something he wants, it could be an activity he wants, it could be avoidance of an activity. So there's some reason that he's aggressing, and usually we want to try to find out what that is, obviously, because uh, if there's some other form of communication, uh, then aggression will reduce pretty significantly, because why would you aggress when you can communicate that you're upset about something? So. Um, by uh, what you are doing right now is you're holding him down and he's screaming and in the meantime he's having this huge meltdown and he's uh, injuring you and um, it's it, you know it's not a good situation so uh, imagine if what he wanted and we don't know but imagine if what he wanted is your attention and when he screams, you go over there and you hold him, and you're giving him tons of attention. So the message he gets is, this is a pretty effective way of me getting uh, this attention. And the behavior will not only continue, it'll increase, because you're essentially rewarding the behavior and saying, uh, any, any consequence that follows a behavior can either act as a a positive consequence or a negative consequence and the fact that you're hugging him, holding him if this if it was a negative thing for him the behavior would end but since the behavior is going on I can guarantee you that he's not uh, disturbed by you holding it in fact he's enjoying you holding him to some extent so and that's why the behavior is increasing and continuing so it's not working. We need to change what we're doing. And the best thing to do is to actually not give him attention. And the, only, the best way to do that is to walk away and prevent him from escaping, which means you hold the door. You have to wait until he calms down. If you're concerned about his safety, place a camera in the room um, so that you can look at the camera the minute you go outside. It's very important to... This is the general rule. You do not give what the child is trying to gain by, that, by doing that inappropriate behavior. And that's your first step. You do not give what they're trying to gain. So if he's trying to gain an object, you prevent him from getting the object. If he's trying to get attention, you don't give attention. And the second step then is to teach the child a different approach, a different way to communicate, and then give him what he wants. And that different approach, that different way to communicate has to be as easy as or easier than the tantrum and the aggression. So it has to be something very, very basic. Um, so, uh, you know, and that could be something like a, the picture of an icon on the wall and you touch it and then the child gets, he, he touches it and, you, and then he gets whatever it is he wants. You must figure out what it is he wants. 
um, when you get an ABA specialist in there, then they will do a, a functional assessment and figure out exactly what he wants. Um, until then, I would say your best bet is to uh, not give him attention. It's a hard time. It's a very, very difficult uh, thing. We talked yesterday on the show about the period of time in which you're waiting for ABA to start. And that there are so many things that are hard along the way. It's hard getting a diagnosis. It's hard having a team of people in your home. Uh, the waiting, I, I have to say, uh, is the hardest part. It's horrible. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I'm so glad that you're using this forum, that you're, you're asking the questions that you're asking because you're going to be that much further ahead of the game. Um, I, if there's any way that in the meantime that she can get some help and support so that she can follow through on these things, exactly. I just feel like as, as so that would be, of be course, IBT. Yes. So what we really recommend is that you should go on the Institute for Behavioral Training website, which is ibehavioraltraining.com, and please look through there. There's a whole section for parents. Um, and you will go through and there's modules and there's lots and lots of modules and I think the parent section is actually the more, most busy or loaded section. So just pick modules and I would really recommend the behavior module which teaches you how to manage challenging behaviors. Um, this is so important. It's not like it's not just that you're going to be changing the behavior before your ABA team gets on board. It's just that regardless of what you do or don't do with it, any understanding you have of ABA and how the techniques of ABA work and, and how they change behavior will help you even when the ABA program starts. So as Shannon said, it'll give you resources to do things now, but it'll also make you into that fantastic parent who understands and can follow through and actually make the therapy better uh, once your program starts. And let me tell you, I think for parents, it's not just the fact that you um, are engaged and so on. It's just it, it'll make you feel better because it's almost like you learn a language that your child learn that your child speaks. So it's kind of like now you can communicate with your child, and it, it the anxiety about not knowing what to do is gone, and that wall of like why is he doing this? I don't know what to do is gone and you'll know what to do and it'll be very very it's a good good thing for parents when they're trained it's a very empowering feeling if i could give you one thing right now i would say to you that this moment in, in your life is not going to go on forever that you're on the cusp of this part being over you're going to have right. to walk through some difficult stuff but know that this is not going to last forever and i would encourage you to find someone whether it's your significant other or another family member or a really good girlfriend or a college student that you can hire but get an ally uh, for now and for so that you can have somebody when you have that will give you respite later on when you're getting ABA going on mm -hmm. but you can have them do the IBT trainings with you um, IBT has a very exciting announcement next week about how about making this uh, training available to everyone in the month of April mm -hmm. I can't give anything away until next week but it's very exciting um, and I think life-changing for a lot of people. So I want you to know help is coming. It's there for you now as much as you want to do it. Get an ally um, so that you can yes. get, get through this period of time. But this won't last forever. It's going to get better. Yes, absolutely. All right, we're going to take a short break. Okay. And then we're going to be back with more Autism Live after these messages. 
I'm Lisa Ackerman. Welcome back to Talk of Facts. Um, I, we hear questions all the time, and we want to give you the answers that help make your journey in autism easier and more navigatable. Less than a year ago, we interviewed the top 100 doctors in the United States working with children on the spectrum, and we asked them a question in the cloak of secrecy. What are the top three mistakes parents living with autism do? Number one, and my, the one that makes me laugh the most, is when they use their physician as a marriage and family therapist. <laughs> one, the doctors told me it made them uncomfortable, and two, they were highly unqualified to provide that type of advice. So the night before your physician appointment with your MAPS doctor, get together with your spouse, significant other, and write out the list of the targets and the agenda that you want to cover at the physician's appointment. Get in sync then you'll be definitely spending less time and not making that doctor so uncomfortable. Second thing that was the most common mistakes parents living with autism make is they want to go too fast. And really, you want to pace yourself in the autism journey. We all know that we want to get our kid to be the best they can be and hopefully recover from autism. And what a lot of the doctors have told me is that you want to really pace yourself, one, to let the labs be your guide and to work with your physician on the prioritization and the, the delivery of the different medical interventions. The third most common mistake they felt families made was giving up too soon. And what you need to know is they're invested, um, they're looking at wanting to get the best from your child. But I tell you that when I got that and consolidated the 100 interviews with these physicians, most of the doctors who brought that up had tears in their eyes. Um, they want you to know that they're in the fight with you and they want you to know that hope is really real. It may take hard work and it may take time, but to not give up and to stay in the game. So let TACA help you. We'll have some more TACA facts for you in the future, real questions and real answers for the autism journey. Welcome back to Autism Live. So thrilled that we are here for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampichet is here and she's answering your questions in real time. We've had some pretty devastating questions to start out with. Yes, we have. But that's, you know, that's the reality. Going kind of hand in hand with what we were just talking about with tantrums and attention, we've got somebody who's written in and said, hello, my two-year-old shrieks and screams when we are not playing or feeding him. He doesn't have any words yet. It's driving me crazy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's out of frustration but I think he also likes the sound he is making. Mm -hmm. How can I teach him to be quiet? Can I teach a nonverbal <clears throat> toddler to ask for my attention? And thank you so very much. Yes, you can. Um, I would say it, it's a little bit more difficult if you don't know for sure when he's, when he's um, screaming or shrieking. If you don't know for sure if he's doing it in order to get food or in order to play. Um, but initially, it's going to be a little bit confusing. But here's what you do, and this is not, you don't do this when he's screaming or, or shrieking. You do this separately, so when he's calm. So you will sit him in his chair, and you will have one picture of him and his favorite food, maybe eating his favorite food, and you put that picture in front of him, and then you will model for him or prompt him to touch the picture. And as he touches the picture, or even to give it to you, whichever one, and as, once he does that, you will give him a bite of his of that favorite food, okay? And you'll do this 20 times, and then the food is finished. 
but every time you want to give him a spoon of the food, he has to either touch that picture or give it to you, okay? And you'll do that, and that's that. The next day, you will come back, and you will uh, do that again. And you do that until uh, he gets to a point where if the picture is just in his on the table, he will, and you have the food in your hand, you don't have to prompt him anymore. He now gets it that, oh, this picture, if I touch the picture, they'll give me that food. So you do that repetitively a few days until he gets that message. Now, and it could take a while, but keep doing it. Now, once you've done that, you will now come with a new picture. And this now will be a picture of him and his favorite toy that he wants to play with. And so you will now have him really look at the picture and it should be different. He shouldn't be seated the same. For instance, he should maybe, maybe on the ground. Very different, make the picture look quite different could be in different size as well, different colors and so on, than the eating picture, okay? So it makes it easier for him to discriminate. So now he will touch that picture or give you the picture and you will play with him. And you'll do that now for a few days. And once he's mastered that, then you will rotate the two. And this is what's called random rotation and that's the hardest phase because that's discrimination. So now he, what you're trying to teach him is that so you'll have both pictures and you'll say if you touch this one I'm gonna feed you if you touch this one I'm gonna play with you and that's a little bit confusing it is a little bit hard so there's a lot of different ways to do this there's we do it in seven steps and that's called discrimination training steps so what I would suggest is if you want to learn those steps you can go to IBT Institute for Behavioral Training and look up the skill teaching module and it will take you through those steps and it'll tell you exactly how to introduce the first object that we call the target which is that let's say the first picture and then you will bring in distractor pictures and then you'll bring in the second target and then you rotate the targets and this sounds like technical lingo but it's basically what I just told you and the idea behind it is that you're now teaching your child to touch an icon or to hand you a picture instead of shrieking and screaming in order to get their needs met and it's always I'm glad that you figured out that he does it because he either wants to play or he wants your, um, some food and so it's important to figure out to you know give him a way to express which one it is he wants and then really reinforce that okay wonderful wonderful advice and then please write us back and let us know how that goes we'll be very interested and, and by the way you also added can I ask a nonverbal toddler to ask for attention attention is quite different than wanting to play or eat so and yes of course you can do that as well and the way you do that is just teach him a third icon which is a picture of you and you playing with him perhaps or you doing something with him that he likes and then he that's what he will learn to use yeah and, and it's so powerful and such a lovely thing when they mm -hmm. when they get the ability to ask for that and, and then we reward them by giving it to them. It's so powerful. Absolutely. And you know, the, the these picture systems or uh, just augmentative devices or nonverbal communication devices and the whole system, you know, we teach our nonverbal kids pretty much everything nonverbally. And it is, it's fabulous. There's no limitation on this. Like one of my kids, I often talk about does all sorts of stuff. I mean, and he started out with exactly what I just told you, single pictures, single icons. In fact, when I met him, he had maybe a handful of icons that he wasn't really using, even though they were attached to him. And uh, now, of course, he types full sentences and descriptive sentences on his iPhone. 
So he yes. doesn't even, he's gone all the way down to have just carrying a phone. And I will tell you too, that if you start to do picture exchange, someone in your life, well-meaning mother-in-law or someone is going to say, you know, he's never going to talk if you do right, that. Right, and, right. and you should be fully armed and wet ready for that moment, knowing that all the studies show that the exact opposite is that's true. Right, that's the right. kids on the autism spectrum are more likely to speak quicker, not all of them, right? But right. the ones who are going to speak are more likely to speak quicker if we have functional communication, such as a picture exchange system. Uh, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because not only will their frustration level go down right away and they'll be more attentive and more willing to learn, but also it's a prompt. I mean, you can also consider these visual stimuli as visual prompts. Yeah. So they're prompting the child. You never have to think that a vocalization cannot be accompanied. It certainly can accompany instead of giving you a picture, he could also give it to you and say toy or whatever it is or food. But right now you're gonna teach him one thing at a time and you're just gonna teach him to give you the card. Later on you can pair it with a verbal. Yeah, it just makes sense too. I always think about if aliens came and took me, I don't always think about this, but if aliens came and took me to another <laughs> planet and they had a different way, they didn't have fingers and they had a different way of, uh, of communicating that I didn't understand, very quickly I would have needs. I would need to use a restroom, I would want something to drink and I would want something to eat, right? And I would tantrum, I would start screaming and kicking people in inviting people if I couldn't get those things and if I couldn't figure out their mode of communication. But I would learn their language much quicker if they gave me some way to communicate with them so that I could get my basic needs met. Right. Right? I would Then I would be able to learn because I wouldn't need to use a restroom, wouldn't need something to drink, and wouldn't need something to eat. That's... And that's me. So imagine a two-year-old, because this, this is a new planet to them. Let's hope that never happens to you. I'm never going to be. I, I don't believe in aliens. Uh, I'm not somebody who's looking over my shoulder for uh, an alien abduction. That's not who I am. They're all around you anyway. I hope not. Uh, in any case, uh, let's move on to our next question. Hi, my adult son is very verbal, but sometimes bites his arm when we take him places he doesn't want to go. How can we stop this when sometimes we have to take him with us? And thank you so much for your help. Yes, so, you know, essentially that is some form of, it's a combination of things. So on the one hand, it could be just frustration, obviously. Um, and then it also becomes a habit. So habits are learned behavior, you know. So uh, let's say, I'm trying to, th okay, here's a good example of how this kind of thing. So um, you have to kind of try to identify what, what is causing the frustration from these social places. Is there something in particular? And you know, with our kids, with our kids or adults, they have different things that make them anxious, I think. So let's look at an example of, of us, what we do, which is sim very similar. So let's say you go to, you, you go to a party, right? And it's a pretty um, chaotic, noisy, active, party and everybody's drinking and partying and all this sort of stuff and that's an environment that may uh, uh, stimulate to you to for instance have a cigarette okay and that's not necessarily a good behavior that you want to practice but generally speaking being around others who are partying or being in a socially anxiety provoking environment you might pull out a cigarette mm -hmm. okay now why do you do that probably because uh, you are used to doing it so it becomes kind of a habit in that environment other people are drinking and smoking so you might as well mm -hmm. um, secondly because 
uh, people exhibit those types of behaviors because of a little bit of social anxiety. It's like something that will calm you down a little bit, yeah, right? They call it a social lubricant. Exactly. Some people use alcohol. Exactly. Other people use a cigarette, and uh, some people use food, and it could be any one of a million things. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So that, those are perfect examples. Now, in your son's case, something in that environment is causing him a little bit of discomfort, which could be some form of social anxiety, uh, frustration, or so on. So figure out, first of all, is it a, what's common about these environments? Is it actually an environment that is provoking social anxiety, in which case you want to give him something else appropriate to do instead of biting his hand, which uh, has his arm, which has kind of become a, a um, habit. Um, and if it's not socially anxiety-provoking, maybe it's sensory anxiety-provoking. So usually our kids tend to escalate in these types of behaviors when there's a lot of sound noise, which is really piercing and disturbing. Maybe it is visually overwhelming for him. Um, maybe you have to really uh, kind of look at the environments and see what they have in common. Uh, and I don't know if it's every environment, um, but it's or maybe it's just environments where, you know, you're busy doing something else, and this has become his way of getting your attention back on him. Try to figure that stuff out because there's always a reason we do these things. It may not be evident because the the behavior has really nothing to do with the environment, like why bite his arm versus anything else. But I can tell you that it's, a, it's he's trying to communicate something. So try to block it as much as possible. Uh, here's an idea. Try to uh, maybe in the location... And by the way, one of the things our adults tend to do is our, once they bite a particular location and it scabs over or it toughens, that it becomes the location where they keep going back to. So I would try to maybe wrap that location. There's a lot of different kinds of these, uh, uh, not even with bandage, but they have these socks that you can pull up that are like elastic. Um, and I think if you cover that area, he may uh, gradually stop biting that area because the sensation, he won't be able to feel it as much. And by the, doing that, you're blocking it, but you do need to teach him some other way of coping. Okay. They, yeah, the sock things. I, I have sleeves that yes. I put on uh, because I'm very sun sensitive and I don't always want to douse myself with sunscreen. And they're just sleeves that you can take on and take off. They're a little bit compression and they're, they're they actually help with anxiety too. Yeah. Because they're a little bit of, uh, in some people, not in all people. Yeah, they're kind uh, of fun. Yeah, yeah, I like sleeves too. I, I kind of sometimes get overly anxious because they're so tight. So yeah, like the, the you don't want them too tight. But the feeling of, of, a, of you know, any kind of brace yeah. is sort of a, uh, anxiety reducing type of thing it is a centering uh, thing yeah they're kind of spandexy and they come in all different colors you can get them in all different and they're just they're literally the sleeves they don't go up to the shirt so that if it's hot you can take them off I and have I, one and, with butterflies and, oh nice it's very nice yeah I had one that looked like tattoos oh very fun cool. yeah but you should you should also try to keep him engaged like if you're preventing the behavior really try to keep the individual engaged in other things shorten the duration of time that you're going to these things give him plenty of breaks 
It's all the same rules. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, it's all the same rules. Reduce the difficulty level is what yeah. we're saying and gradually work up again. And I wonder too, if, uh, if your adult son is at all interested in, in the technology end of things, because I find that a lot of, my son is very much in this category. A lot of our kids, they, they crest to a certain mm -hmm. age and, and, and very similar. It's very neurotypical. I see all kinds of young people and their social lubricant is their phone. Right. That they're they're busy texting, and that way they don't have to attend to certain right. uh, things that are making them nervous. That can I you know it's a terrible but good thing. I know that my son can be entertained for hours on end. You could stand him on his yes. head, but if he had a piece of technology, he's fine. I could I could go shopping, you know, and fly around the world, and he would be happy to have his phone. Uh, so something to, to consider. All right, let's take a short break. Uh, we've got a lot of people writing in on Facebook. There's quite the conversation going on on Facebook, and I want to have Dr. Graham Shea oh, write in on it a little bit. So stick with us. What is autism? 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 I've been asking myself that for a very, very long time. Um, let me think about that one. <laughs> um, trying to, uh, just, um... Jeez, let me think. <laughs> oh, man, that's a big one. Yes. Uh, autism, uh... Autism is a neurological disorder that affects many of our kids in different ways. It's a learning disability that affects the cognitive functions of the brain. A lot of people have the misconception that it's a disability and it's really not. I look at it as like a special gift. When one person thinks differently from another. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn to understand someone that's a little different than them. Autism is the ability to educate. They're given so much talent in different areas. To me, autism means a chance to be with and be around people you really care about. Autism is beautiful. It's a way of seeing the world differently. It's always unique, totally intelligent, and sometimes mysterious. Happiness that, that, that comes out of my um, son's um, hard work. It's a movement. Unpredictable. That's right. Awesome. Love. The field I want to work in. Laughter. Fun. Joy. Autism is beautiful to me. I want you to remember these three words. There is hope. Welcome back to Autism Live. We're here with Dr. Doreen Grampuchet in a segment that we call Ask Dr. Doreen. She's a true expert in the field of autism. Uh, I mentioned before the break that we've had a lot of people writing in. Uh, I didn't get to fill Dr. Grampuchet in on all the conversation, but somebody wrote in this morning and said, uh, what do you do when ABA uh, does not seem to be working? What other methods would you recommend? Uh, lots of conversation on Facebook, um, and at least one person writing it in saying, well, you, that's a very interesting question because ABA should work, that it's something that's very, if it's individualized, mm -hmm. um, that at some point that it should be working. So right. I'd love to hear from you, a true expert in the field of autism. This parent is saying, what other methods can I use when ABA is not working? Right. That's a really great question, and it's a fabulous topic for discussion. I, I'm glad you asked that question. So, you know, to some extent, ABA should always work. Yes, that's true. So, but it doesn't always work. And we'll talk about why and some of the reasons and some, some alternative things that you can do. But what is ABA? It's not a magic pill. It's, it's a technique of, that we know for sure works not only with individuals on the ASD spectrum, but 
any, uh, many, many, well, all, all people, okay? So it, it just works in general because it's a, um, it clarifies the, those basic rules that govern behavior and, and it allows us to practice uh, in a way that we can change behavior. So ABA is an effective tool. It's not, there's no discussion about whether it's effective or not. It's a highly effective tool. There's no question about that. Now, there's a few things about it that need to happen so that it is effective for any given person. One thing is, it has to be done enough. So if you do ABA one hour a week, or if you do ABA five hours a week, it's gonna have very little impact on your child. Because, hey, we've done studies on this. Thousands of studies have been done, and it's very clear that you need to intensify your efforts. It's like uh, learning a musical instrument, good example. If you do one hour of practice with a musical instrument, it'll take you maybe 15 years to learn your first song. Uh, whereas if you do repetitive practice, um, you're gonna learn a lot of different songs and you're gonna learn a lot of different instruments over the course of one year or two years. So the more you put into it, the more you will get out of it. And so intensity is a huge factor. Duration is also an important factor and that means that you have to do it long enough. So if you do a heavy intensity of something for one week and you give it up, the behavior change won't maintain. So it's very important that certain key features are done. There's enough hours being done, and that'll vary based on each individual. There's enough uh, intensity, there's enough duration, so it's being done long enough. The third factor is it needs to be quality ABA. So you can be trained in ABA, but not really know what you're doing. The certification, you know, I see too many people out there who have learned ABA kind of in a very theoretical or academic manner and don't really know how to apply it to people. A lot of times, actually, people who come to CARD tell me uh, that's the one thing, you know, they learned from CARD how to apply these things they had studied and learned about. So I, I really, you know, encourage you to make sure that the quality of the ABA excuse me, that you're receiving is high quality ABA. Like anything else, you can go see a dentist who will mess up your tooth or you will go see a dentist who will completely take care of it and do a good job. You need to make sure you have a very competent practitioner. So those are the first three things, the duration, the intensity, and the, the quality of the program that you're receiving. Now, if you have all of that, there's also other factors that might influence whether or not it works. For instance, how healthy is your child? If your child is not sleeping, obviously, no matter what effectiveness that any technique has, they're not gonna be focused enough or have the physical capability to learn. So your child needs to be sleeping well. Um, your child needs to not have pain. So we wanna make sure that we're looking at all the other things, like is my child having pain in their stomach or other areas that might be conflicting. Uh, we want to enhance the child's attention because this is ABA is after all just a teaching technique, right? It's a technique to change behavior. But if the child isn't attending, if the child is extremely same as being sleepless or just kind of like hyperactive or zoned out or lethargic or not attending or those types of things, it's gonna be harder to get through to them. So anything that you can do that will enhance your child's ability to pay attention is gonna be effective and helpful and make the effectiveness of the ABA pronounced much more. So 
make sure your child is sleeping, make sure they don't have any illnesses that you're not able to, that nobody's treating, make sure they don't have pain, make sure that they are able to attend better. And there's, you know, you can modify that through biochemical means, medications, diets, all that sort of stuff. They help the child stabilize, sit down, and be able to pay attention better. So all of those factors have to be present in order for ABA to work. I don't, I won't say that I recommend another type of technique. I don't. Obviously, I've put my entire life into this technique, and I've trained in a lot of other techniques. I am familiar with floor time and how to do that. I am familiar with even, I trained even in things that uh, I didn't believe in just so that I could make sure that they're not valid, like facilitated communication. I mean, I studied a lot of other things as well and came to the conclusion that ABA is the one that works in terms of a teaching technique or a behavioral technique. So, but I also know that a lot of my children suddenly wake up and do much, much better if they're on the right diet, if they're sleeping well, if they're able to attend, if they're not in pain. So I'm a very strong believer that you need to make sure that you're treating all of the other, the issues that the child is suffering with and not just trying to teach them skills. So um, that all has to come together. And if you do all of that, you will see some response. This is not about the child's capabilities. Children have capabilities. It's just a matter of facilitating it for them. I just want to add one thing to what you said that Please. I see as a really important component of all that too, that checklist, is that the parents have to learn these techniques and be as involved or more involved than the people who are Absolutely. delivering it. Right. And, and I just want to say how important it is, and this is a subject, you know I love every single parent that's out there uh, and has a child on the autism spectrum and is trying to figure it out. And I know how hard it is, and it's part of the reason why I am in this chair you know, the, the hours yes. that I am to help you to get to the answers that you need. But you have to be aware of who you listen to and when you listen to. There are parents out there who will gleefully say to you, we did ABA and it didn't work. They didn't go through that checklist that Dr. Grand Pichet just gave you about, were we making sure that it was quality ABA? And, and imagine if I were to sit there and to help to tell you about a world-renowned uh, diet program that people have been losing weight on for years and years and years, and I said to you, oh, Great I went on that well. and it didn't work. Right. But if you asked me, did I really learn how to eat that way and did I really follow through on it, if I was going to be honest with you, I would say to you, well, clearly not. Yes. Right? That's such a great example, And, Shana, and right And parents there. are out there who didn't give it the college try because maybe they could Right. And I understand that not everyone can, but don't be misled by them into thinking that because they couldn't do it, and no judgments, if you can't do it, you can't do it, but if they couldn't do it, then they don't get to say it didn't work. Right. Exactly. That's not fair to any of us. That's right. Um, but I see that when parents say, we made this a priority, I learned everything that I needed to learn, I found out what good quality ABA therapy was, I didn't look at my child as the problem, we looked at how we were teaching my child, all of those parents see real progress. Does it look different on each one of those kids? You betcha it does, because right, right. they're all individual. But it's so important that we start cutting people off who are putting out bad information and saying, oh, it didn't work. Ask them, did you really, can you honestly say that you gave this the full try? 
I think you'll get a different answer if they're going to be honest with you. Yeah. And if you if they're not being honest with you, go where people will be on. You go to people's houses and see the difference that this therapy makes when you go all in. But you you have to go all in. You have to go all in. Thank you for saying that. I mean, and it's so important to hear those words because, uh, truthfully, I the wor worse than. The worst thing for us as professionals is to see a parent who gives up when they shouldn't, because you're, you know, so many children benefit. Just think of this. This is not, you know, the next diet. That's a great example. This is something that has been approved by every major source in this company, and there is a reason that it's been approved. It is not easy to get a, a treatment to a point where you have medical insurance, health insurance paying for it. Um, it is clearly an effective technique and it just needs to be done right. And don't listen to people who say, well, because listen, everybody's discussing this on a frequent basis now. ABA has a lot of people that are saying, oh, well, but not for all kids. Right. That, you know, well, it worked for them because their child was high functioning or, oh, it worked for them because their child was more profoundly affected. Uh, I find it interesting that they argue on both sides of it. The truth of the matter is, is that one of the reasons why we talk so much about ABA is that if we give all of our kids an opportunity and we are modifying to them, to their individual then all of our kids no matter where they come in on will make some amount of progress that is meaningful that's right meaningful so don't listen to people who try to tell you oh no um you know stop doing that or don't bother doing that it only works for some kids and you know it has a lot to do also now that we're discussing it the content is very, very important. There's no question the techniques uh, are effective, but the content is also effective, is extremely important in how your child does. So, you know, on that discussion of it only works for lower level kids or higher level kids or whatever it is, as long as you know how to, or a professional who's working with your child knows how to modify and teach whether it's low level or functioning or high level functioning, it doesn't really matter. The, the content is quite different. You know, when I teach a child who's, let's say, very young and very affected with autism, I'm going to be teaching them pretty basic stuff. I'm going to be working on getting rid of bad behaviors. I'm going to be working on teaching basic requests, basic labels, very easy stuff. When I'm working with a high-functioning kid who's, you know, three years into an ABA program and I'm trying to mainstream him, then I'm working on a whole different set of things and I'm teaching him how to recognize social cues.